Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors. It's Friday morning, February 23rd, around 8.30 in the morning in our nation's capital. Time for this week's Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Well, Congress has been out of town for a while, a couple of weeks. Nobody really knows why. But there's still lots of news on several fronts in South Carolina. Primary tomorrow. The question is, not can Nikki Haley win, but can she survive? In Alabama, a Supreme Court decision granting frozen embryos the same rights as a living child reignites the abortion debate for 2024. In Michigan, a member of Congress is asking Democrats to vote against President Biden in next week's primary to protest his failure to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. In Washington, Republican attempts to impeach President Biden suffered a blow this week when their key witness was arrested by the FBI for lying about the whole thing. And after days of saying nothing about the murder of Alexei Navalny, Donald Trump finally broke his silence by claiming, of course, that he was being persecuted just like Navalny had been. Uh, That's a lot for today's panel of reporters to chew on. So let's get started with uh, David Jackson, national political reporter for USA Today. Hello, David. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Joining us again, Ginger Gibson, senior Washington editor here for uh, NBC News. Hello, Ginger. Hey, Bill. Glad to be here. Thank you. And uh, Kirk Beto, editor of the National Journal Hotline. Hello, Kirk. Morning, everyone. Happy to be here with you guys. So, David, you're down in South Carolina. Tell us, is it as big a snooze as everybody says it is? <laughs> yes. In a oh. short word, yes. It's uh, partly because uh, Donald Trump's barely been here. He was here Tuesday for a Fox News town hall slash pep rally. Uh, he's going to be in Rock Hill and in Columbia on, on Friday, the day before the primary. And he's presumably going to be here Saturday night to celebrate his victory. But, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a snooze fest as the more there's been more interest in Nikki Haley and her attempts to survive this campaign. Well, uh, Nikki Haley speaking out yesterday, uh, ramping up a little bit her criticism of uh, of uh, Donald Trump, um, particularly on about Navalny and about his courtroom appearances. Here she is. It's amazing to me how weak in the knees he is when it comes to Putin, because you look at the fact he is yet to say anything about Navalny's death, which Putin murdered him. It's what he does to his political opponents. He doesn't talk about anything. All he does is go on late night rants talking about his court cases. He's going to be in court for the rest of the year. We can't be distracted. But more of that, that's why I continue to say if Donald Trump is the nominee, he can't win. So, Ginger, uh, pretty tough stuff, but is Nikki... She waited a little bit too late to to really ramp up against Donald Trump. 
I feel like we've watched this pattern play out with Republicans <laughs> running against Donald Trump um, since 2016, which is like this whole like, oh, we're not going to really punch because we want to like woo his voters over. And then when they realize that doesn't work, then they start swinging a little bit and a little bit more. Uh, but she's she's got, um, you know, this line that she's now pushing that he's not going to be able to actually run. He's going to be tied up in court. We're 31 days away. Start your countdown clocks from Donald oh. Trump's first criminal trial beginning. So um, uh-huh. it's it's happening and it's happening very soon. Um, and I think that she's trying to find some way to get traction, but this has not gotten traction for Republicans. It's just not persuaded any of these folks that are ready to vote for Donald Trump to change their minds. Uh, and it's going to be hard to see that she in the last few days of the of the primary there in South Carolina makes any any amount of difference. Right. And uh, Kirk, the one issue that I thought might get some traction in South Carolina were Donald Trump's basically mocking her husband, Nikki Haley's husband, who is on duty in the United States military. Of course, he, he mocked uh, Senator John McCain years ago too. And that, but, but even that issue... Um, doesn't seem to have turned people against him, for even military, in members of the military in South Carolina. No, nothing at all. And to your point, Bill, there's a huge military population in South Carolina. You know, it's home to the Citadel, the military academy yeah. there. And But this is kind of part and parcel for Trump. I mean, you mentioned him insulting John McCain, you know, his whole I like my war heroes not captured bit from 2016. In that same campaign, he also insulted, you know, the Gold Star families as well. There have been so many reports from his time in office of his disregard for service members, for historical sacrifice. There's that big Atlantic piece from a few years back about looking at the graves in Europe from World War One, I, I believe, and World War Two, and just thinking about like, just disrespecting that sacrifice, but nothing seems to be penetrating here at all. It's just speaks to this Trump armor that he has around him that even this, these comments that would be political suicide among any other candidate don't seem to be making a dent. And now he's on his way to probably his biggest margin of victory in any of these early voting States right now. uh, David, something else that doesn't seem to make a dent. uh, And Nikki Haley mentioned uh, Trump's silence on Navalny for so long, which is, which really is part of a pattern of Trump uh, either praising Vladimir Putin or doing nothing that would uh, that Putin might not be happy with. Right? I mean, it, to the point that in the bulwark this week, Bill Kristol, who's now taken over for Charlie Sykes, actually said that Democrats should hang Vladimir Putin around Donald Trump's neck. Uh, is maybe this the issue that? Um, Republicans who would rather see anybody than Trump or Democrats ought to be using? Or do you think we're going to see that? Perhaps, but you know, they've tried to hang Vladimir Putin around Trump's neck since 2015. So uh, I just, I just don't get the, especially in South Carolina, I just don't get the sense that the Russia thing is just a very big deal for most people. They're, they're more concerned about their own economic situation. And I think that's, what's really driving this election, but it's, there's no doubt that the, the Russia thing will continue to come up if only because of the, aid to Ukraine, but there's no evidence that that's a particular loser for Trump. In fact, quite the contrary. Sad to say. Yeah. So where maybe it will have an impact, Ginger, or my question is, do you think it will on aid to Ukraine and the, the getting that bill through Congress? Chuck Schumer, as we speak, is in Kiev 
meeting with a group of uh, senators, meeting with uh, President Zelensky, and he's making the argument uh, it's even more imperative to pass this bill after the murder of Alexei Navalny. Is that going to work? Let's be clear. There is bipartisan support for aid to Ukraine to continue to fight against Russia Um, in both chambers of Congress. Yes, Um, good point. And there are signs that there is leadership support in the House side of Republicans for aid to Ukraine. Um, It's whether or not anyone can tell what is a relatively small faction of Republicans know um, and whether or not they can get to a deal. I think that, you know, we saw some artificial deadlines created for this funding at the end of the year, at the beginning of this year. I think we're getting closer to the real deadlines, the real point where it could actually influence um, the way that they're fighting uh, the actual war. And then I think that pressure will start to ramp up even more. Um, It's possible. I wouldn't write it off. But, you know, the domestic politics, as you say, sort of exacerbated by Trump um, are really at play here. And he just want Trump just wants things to go badly uh, or appear to go badly for Joe Biden. And it seems that that's his primary policy goal right now. Um, and, and then to take credit for anything that goes well as somehow magically his doing, even though he's not president. Um, and I think that there are some allies in, in Congress who are definitely going to reinforce that desire for him. Well, Ginger, to your point, he did the same thing on the border bill as well that was tied to Ukraine. I mean, Democrats and Republicans had that bipartisan deal uh, with James Langford that they negotiated, and then Trump came in against it, and then it all collapsed. And you know, I think with the margins that you're talking about here in Congress and both chambers, you know, this small holdout of these Trump loyalists are really going to gum up the works for any sort of legislation between now and November. Uh, uh, thanks, Kirk. And as we um, have talked about before on the podcast uh, and the Reporters Roundtable, even several Republicans like Chuck Grassley uh, of Iowa, right, said, well, the, we kind of like this bill, but the reason we're not going to pass it is because we want, don't want to do anything that would help Joe Biden, right, <laughs> or, or make or make him look good. So um, Trump's got so much time on his hands, David, that he's now rolling out his list of potential vice presidential nominees, <laughs> which I found kind of curious because it includes people like Vivek Ramaswamy and Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, is he just teasing or is this, should we take any of this seriously? I wouldn't take too much of it seriously. Uh, this all came up at the Fox <laughs> News town hall. Laura Ingram said that uh, her staff had polled some of the audience members about who they would want to see as vice presidential candidates. And there were the usual names, Tim Scott. And, uh, and but she also added that Ron DeSantis was a name. And, yeah, and yeah. she also mentioned Tulsi Gabbard as well. And rather than pick and choose, Trump just said, oh, yeah, they're all fine people. And, uh, and she <laughs> said, they're on your list. He said, yeah, yeah. But I think it was just a case of Trump just not wanting to get into the discussion of the vice presidency in that selection. So I, I, I really don't. I know DeSantis is not on the list. And in fact, DeSantis himself read himself off the next day. And right. I just don't think Tulsi Gabbard's on the list either, although she is doing a fundraiser at Mar-a-Lago next next week. So, you know, there you go. I'm sure that story will get a lot of attention. But to answer your question, I, I, I think that Trump is talking to his aides about the vice presidential election, but I don't really think it's uh, in, in train right now. I think his focus right now is on raising money and getting ready for these court cases. I don't think he's given the veep slot that much thought. Uh, David, I think we can also um, 
count on the fact that Nikki Haley and Mike Pence are not on the list. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah, and they, and they have, uh, they, Trump has Trump has specified that those aren't on the list, and and Pence and Nick have agreed. But right. um, but you know, another thing about that lit, the thing that came up was that at least Stefanak was not listed by the audience or by Laura Ingraham. But I do think she's a serious <laughs> contender. So I wouldn't read too much into any of his vice presidential discussion this week. Well, one other thing, Ginger, that he, may, the former president, may be doing in his spare time, you have reported yesterday on NBC, um, is that he might be making plans uh, to um, get even with some of his <laughs> political critics, <laughs> which is causing them to make some plans of their own, perhaps. That's that's right. A great story by a reporter on my team, Peter Nicholas. Looking at, I, I think it's first, this thing that Trump does where he tries to say two things at the same time. So he keeps talking about revenge, about retribution, about turning the Justice Department against people, like he says they've done to him. Um, and then he says, oh, I won't have time for revenge. But he's saying these things. He's saying, <laughs> I'm going to seek revenge. And uh, Peter talked to more than a dozen people who have come, um, uh, 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 drawn the ire of Donald Trump overwhelmingly, we're talking about people who worked for Donald Trump, who are Republicans, who worked near or in his administration, who now say they're really worried about what will happen to them if he returns to power. And they've started to do things to prepare, looking at leaving the country, putting money aside. Uh, you talked to Alexander Vindman, who testified as the whistleblower, one of the whistleblowers in Trump's first impeachment trial. His wife is not letting him plan a big 50th birthday party for her next month because she thinks they need to save the money um, if they have to leave the country or hire lawyers if Trump is reelected. So this is a real concern for some of these people, and they're doing real things to try to prepare um, for what they are concerned about afterwards. Some have said, you know, they're not going anywhere. They're going to stand up and fight. Uh, but talk to folks like Stephanie Grisham, the former press secretary, Michael Cohen, the former Trump aide, um, and they're 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 concerned. Uh, they know Trump very well, and they they think that if he's reelected, they they may have to leave the country. Well, or if nothing else, they're going to have to pay a lot of legal bills to defend themselves, perhaps. Right. So that's right. Yeah. Um, before we take a break here, Kirk, um, every week we try to keep up with the uh, former president and. Um, and present him in his own words, um, uh, and making his case to the American people. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes we can understand them, sometimes we can't. Um, it's your turn, Kirk, to make sense of this latest Donald Trump uh, from the podium this week. They come out with uh, faucets where no water comes out. You know, if you go and buy a home, and they know what I mean, the showers, you stand under a shower and there's no water coming and you're saying you, you end up standing there five times longer. So in Ohio, you have a great company that came to me, the dish, a dishwasher company, one of the biggest and finest companies, but they were going out of business. They said, we're not allowed to use water. They, you know, paper, it sounds a little crazy, but paper, it's called Watermark. They have such secure paper now. They, it's, it's actually a very complex instrument, but the paper today is incredible. Well, there you go, Kirk, the number one problem facing the country. Can't take a shower anymore, right? Can't wash your dishes. Bill, I, I always really enjoy when you set me up for success like this. <laughs> and you give me a pretty easy clip to decipher and everything. I mean, it. it I, as an editor, I think the uh, other folks on this podcast can appreciate this as well, that sometimes it is so difficult to pull quotes from him. It's so difficult to diagram his sentence. Sometimes <laughs> he goes off on... A to B to C to D to Z, 
And that riff on the shower pressure, I mean, it sounds like uh, one of the old classics of where he talked about ending regulations on water pressure. I mean, it's not exactly the you know sterling oratory of campaigns gone past but at the same time he's still up ahead 30 points in the republican primary right now and beating biden in these head-to-head polls and all these battleground states as well and i just wonder that as he's getting more scrutiny as this general election gets more and more finalized that clips like that are going to get a lot more attention than just you know president biden mixing up the president of egypt with Mexico as as a contrast. I know the Biden campaign at least wants that to happen. Right. Uh, and we can only imagine uh, what the uh, out, outcry would have been if uh, it had Joe been, been Joe Biden who was talking about no water from the showers or no water for the dishwashers at any rate. We'll continue uh, to track uh, Donald Trump and bring you his finest moments here on the Bill Press Pod and also talk about the other news of the week with our great panel today, Ginger Gibson from NBC News, David Jackson, USA Today, and Kirk Beto from the National Journal Hotline here on the Bill Press Pod. A quick break and we'll be right back. And today's roundtable on Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the International, the Labor's International Union, rather, of North America, or LIUNA, as they call themselves, L-I-U-N-A, under the leadership of their new president, Brent Booker, over 500,000 strong, the Labor's Union, very, very active in the construction industry, rebuilding our infrastructure, thanks to that big infrastructure bill signed by President Biden, also active in the energy field and the healthcare field. We salute them for their great work rebuilding America and particularly thank them for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at liuna, L-I-U-N-A, liuna.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with uh, on this Friday morning with today's Reporters Roundtable. Uh, joining us again, our panel, Kirk Beto, the editor of the National Journal Hotline, 
Ginger Gibson, senior Washington editor for NBC News, and David Jackson, national political reporter for USA Today. Uh, Dave, uh, Ginger, let's start with you. There's another primary coming up soon, and that is Tuesday in Michigan, where President Biden um, has a little stormy weather there. The congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, and some other Democrats are urging Democrats in the Democratic primary to vote against President Biden to vote uncommitted rather than voting for President Biden um, to protest the fact that he has not yet come out for a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, Is this a serious problem for the president, Ginger? We're going to find out just how serious a problem this is for the president. I think we have spilled lots of ink talking about dissatisfaction, unhappiness in Biden's base over his support for Israel um, and his handling of the um, war in Gaza. I I have continued to point out the fact that um, it's not like he hasn't been on a ballot during this time and that we haven't seen votes in places like New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, where he's done very well. Um, And despite there being other names on the ballot that someone who was unhappy could have walked in and pressed, whether you like Dean Phillips or Marianne Williamson or not, uh, people weren't doing that. They were overwhelmingly at the numbers we would expect and sometimes more voting for Biden. But Michigan is really the place where it could be a problem. There is a substantial Palestinian and Arab population in the state. We know that there are people who are upset there. Um, So we're going to see just how upset people are um, when that vote happens on Tuesday. So it is one to watch closely. Um, We have a reporter on the ground, Peter Nicholas, getting trying to get a sense of just what we should be watching for. Um, So stay tuned for some of that. But I think that there is a question um, about what the size of that protest vote is, what how mad people actually are. Um, And I think, too, um, the real big question that we all need to be asking going forward is, like, what's the alternative when you get into a general election? Is this like a let off pressure, be mad, show your protest now, but everyone will come back to Biden in November? Because the alternative is a guy who said he would ban Muslims from (laughs) entering the country. Um, And that is really not Uh, more in line with what these people who are upset about Gaza uh, would want. So we should watch it. We should watch it carefully. But we should remember that when we get to November, the calculation is very different. Yeah. David, what do you you pick up on the national scene uh, on this issue of the ceasefire? I mean, everywhere Biden goes now, there are protesters, right, calling him, um, what is it, Um, Joe, genocide Joe, right? Uh, and as Ginger pointed out, there are 200,000 um, Muslims in um, uh, in Michigan. Uh, Biden won that state by 80,000. So on a just numbers game, it could work again. But is this the big issue that some people are making it? Or believe I don't it think is? so. I, I don't uh-huh. think so. I think in the, across the country, I think he's most people support Biden's position on this. But as you mentioned, it could be a problem in Michigan, and that's one of the six or eight states that are going to decide this election. So if uh, the Arab community in Michigan sits on its hands in November, that could cost him the state, and that would be a very big, needless to say, that would be a very big pickup for Donald Trump. But uh, I don't think it's a big problem for him nationally, except in Michigan, but Michigan is a very big deal. So, uh, Kirk, if the Biden, if President Biden is not in as much trouble as some people believe in Michigan, uh, he's not in he's in less trouble here in Washington, too, it seems on the impeachment front at any rate. Um, I want to start 
uh, Kirk, by playing with you. This is uh, Jim Jordan, chair of the Judiciary Committee, making the case that they had an excellent case, this is about a year ago, against President Biden because of this FBI informant. Here's Jim Jordan. The most corroborating evidence we have is that 1023 form from this highly credible confidential human source, according to U.S. Attorney Scott Brady. Uh, that was, of course, the uh, Trump-appointed U.S. attorney who was uh, backing up this FBI informant who now has been arrested by the FBI itself as a big liar. He was released and then he was rearrested yesterday. Uh, and the FBI says the whole case that he made on the $5 million to Hunter Biden and $5 million from Burisma to Joe Biden was totally flat-out lie, maybe fed to him by Russian intelligence. Uh, so <laughs> is the Biden impeachment over, Kirk? I I think this is a uh, great example of a fantastic failure to launch on Republicans' part of, you know, keep promising that we're going to find something, we're going to impeach him, we're going to find something, we're going to find something. And then lo and behold, they have this informant who, again, Chuck Grassley, keep bringing him up today, touted as a very reliable source, someone who they were going to build this case around. And now he's been, as you said, Bill, arrested by the FBI for uh, making false statements and might be a Russian plant. Now, the allegations of, you know, being a Russian plant, I'm going to wait to see what the Justice Department finds in their investigation here. I mean, if this guy's a known liar already, I think we should take everything he says very skeptically. But I was having major flashbacks to uh, uh, the Trump administration when you know, remember a few years ago when BuzzFeed published the the memo from the British intelligence officer about allegations against Trump that the Russians might have. It looked like that might have been a Russian fake as a Russian plan as well, and it just gets incredibly, incredibly complicated. And I'm just having those type of flashbacks and how quickly Republicans dismissed any sort of impeachment motion or any question of impropriety about. Trump the second that source started to get questioned as well. My, my big picture takeaway from all this, though, is with Putin getting very aggressive in Ukraine, getting aggressive on his domestic front, as you know, we've mentioned uh, Navalny today, what does any attempts for them to get involved in our election in the next few months look like? Is it more the uh, planting bad information into these informants? Is it a widespread, you know, Facebook digital campaign? Is it this AI generated content that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. NBC News, Ginger, you guys wrote about uh, this morning that we're going to get to a little bit later? I'm thinking now, what does the big picture look like in terms of their interference campaign if there is going to be one ahead of November? Right. I just a uh, footnote on that I saw this morning. I forget now, but uh, who it was, one Republican member of Congress said he can count 20 votes, 20 Republicans who will vote against an impeachment resolution uh, of Joe Biden if that comes to the to the floor. Um, yeah, that, was, uh, that was Don Bacon, the uh, guy from the swing district in Nebraska. That's uh, it, impeachment's DOA. Right. Uh, it seems that way for sure. Um, uh, as Ginger, as uh, Kirk indicated, um, the president himself seems to have stepped up his game, getting more out in front. He was very quick to... Uh, to tie Donald Trump to the Navalny murder uh, because of his relationship with Putin. Very tr quick to Trump, tie Trump to the uh, Alabama Supreme Court decision, which we'll get to in just a moment. Um, and according to um, 
sources at a fundraiser in San Francisco the other day. He called Vladimir Putin a crazy SOB. And then uh, MJ Lee from CNN said this is all part of um, some orders, direction that the president has given his staff at the White House. Here she is. President Biden himself personally instructed some of his top campaign aides to be even more aggressive in highlighting some of President Trump's uh, more inflammatory and wild comments. Uh, We are told that the thrust of the president's direction was to significantly ramp up the campaign's efforts to highlight the crazy shit that Trump says uh, in public. (laughs) Yes, on CNN. Crazy shit. (laughs) Really what we're seeing here is the Biden campaign strategy start to take shape in a way that I think we're going to watch it uh, play out over the coming months. We have listened to the Biden campaign, the White House, for the last six, seven months, complain and complain. They are not getting the credit. They think that they are owed for everything that they've done. They'll point to roads being built from the infrastructure bill. They'll point to low unemployment, to inflation cooling off, to jobs, to things being built. They'll say they canceled more than a billion dollars in student loan debt, and no one is giving them credit for it. But the reality is is that this election is not about Joe Biden, and it's not going to be about what Joe Biden did. They're going to make this election or try to as much as they possibly can about Donald Trump and telling voters over and over again, you may not love me, you may not be excited by me, you may think that I have my faults, but remember, you didn't like the other guy more. Um, And I think that's really what we're going to see. And that's what we see by this shift um, and the increasing amount that he's talking about Trump. Um, They're going to spend like a billion dollars between now and November on television ads. And I wouldn't be shocked if they are overwhelmingly uh, of this vein, trying to spread the message that uh, that other guy is is not who you want to be president again. So, Outside of the political arena this week, a bombshell from the Alabama Supreme Court. I wanted to wrap up talking about that. Um, they're ruling that um, frozen embryo, embryos are, in effect, equal to a living child and should uh, be granted all the rights of a living child. It is a um, and certainly a ruling that has had implications uh, and reverberations all around the country. Uh, Kirk, could this be and reignite the whole debate over abortion in the wake of the Dobbs decision? Well, it, it absolutely is. And this is this is a new frontier in this question since the uh, Dobbs decision almost two years ago now. But this is exactly what we predicted would happen after the protections in row were thrown out that this wasn't just like a one-off event this wasn't just one thing that candidates had to answer about where they stand on abortion this was going to be a cascading thing between the federal level between the states between the courts like we're we're showing now that in this brave new post row world where the regulations are being rewritten at a state by state and sometimes even city by city level in some instances over uh, reproductive health, that this is an issue that is not going to go away at all for Republicans who are trying to navigate this new question. I mean, at the top levels of the presidential ticket right now, you see this playing out. You saw Nikki Haley this week, you know, side with the Alabama Supreme Court here. You see Mike Pence, even though he's not running right now, you know, uh, say that 
you know, this is a, the wrong decision and everything. You see it playing out in Senate races right now, too. Just this week in Nevada, you had Sam Brown, the Republican frontrunner there, uh, and his wife talked to NBC News about um, the abortion that she had before they, they met and him come out very forcefully against a, a federal ban. Dave McCormick today in Pennsylvania, another Republican who's cleared the primary field, came out and said that he opposes this decision. So it's just always going to be generating headlines. It's always going to be generating controversy. And as we've seen in every election since the Dodds decision, Democrats have the advantage on the abortion question, and it's going to haunt Republicans all the way through November. David, Republicans do seem to be um, torn as to how to respond, particularly to the IVF decision, the Alabama Supreme Court. Here, for example, is Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville when he was a uh, caught up to this week by, um, I believe it was a Dasha Burns at uh, NBC News. And you, I don't know, when I hear this, I'm not even sure Tuberville understands what IVF is all about. Here, here's that exchange. Do you have a reaction to the Alabama Supreme Court ruling on the fact that embryos are children? Yeah, I was all for it. We need to have more kids. We need to have an opportunity to do that. And this, I thought this was the right thing to do. But IVF is used to have more children. And right now, IVF services are paused at some of the clinics in Alabama. Aren't you concerned that this could impact people who are trying to have kids? Well, that's for that's for another conversation. Uh, <laughs> sort of got it backwards, David. Yeah. It's... Right. IVF is a way that many families have an a- only way they've been able to right, have kids. Yes. It's uh, although I have some sympathy for him because I'm not, I, I don't really grasp the whole thing either. I think it's just such a strange decision. I, it, my understanding is this case began when a hospital worker dropped a couple of embryos and basically destroyed them accidentally. And somehow we went from that to from a tort issue to declaring embryos to be children. I'm, I'm really not sure how that happened. And I'm sure a lot of people don't understand how that happened. But I think it is a it is a problem for the Republicans. And it really underscores that the whole problem they have with the abortion issue. And, and Kirk's right is going to haunt them all the way to November. Uh, and Ginger, I want to play with you a clip ABC News played. I think it was last night. Um, this this clip could be anyone, I think, of millions of families uh, around the country, maybe millions is too strong, although I doubt it, who have really, in the end, turned to IVF as the only way they were able to have children. In This is in red states and in blue states. Uh, here's this one mother on ABC News. Without IVF, we would not have our two children. The thing that's scary for us is if we choose to discard our embryo, could we be charged with something? Is that a criminal offense now? Is is that murder? And Ginger, I had a call last night from a friend, a grandmother in tears, who said she would not have her two beautiful granddaughters if it were not the IVF. I mean, again, this is red states and blue states. This really hits home with for women. Bill, I would not have my two daughters if it were oh. not for IVF. So I think that, like, you're going to find, and you said a million... I looked it up. There are a million children in the United States born via IVF um, between its creation and 2015. So um, that is not an, an, an overestimate. And I will tell you, I exist in the world of online Facebook support groups, moms, and this has really shaken up a lot of people, not just people in Alabama, people all over the country, people who have frozen embryos, people who don't have frozen embryos, people who relied upon frozen embryos. And it is not liberal people, right? This is mm, a yeah. cross-section 
of American politics. It may be more white, more affluent than the population, but um, it's not isolated to any certain political ideology. Um, And I think what Kirk says about looking ahead to November and how the abortion issue plays out This is the exact kind of thing that is going to make those women who, you know, voted for Trump and then voted for Biden and then maybe thought, you know, maybe I should vote for Trump again because my grocery bill has doubled under Biden and I can't afford it anymore. Rethink that decision. Um, And and I think it does put the politics of this really front and center going forward um, and and creates a lot uh, of open questions about how particularly women in the suburbs who are so politically influential uh, vote in November. Okay. And with that, thank you. A big thank you to the panel uh, for uh, giving us a good oversight into everything happening this week and almost everything happening. I'm sure there are a few stories that we missed, but a big thank you to Kirk Beto from uh, the National Journal, David Jackson from USA Today, and Ginger from Ginger Gibson, NBC News. And now before you run away into the weekend, panelists, um, what was the one story we always ask you that caught your attention this week? And uh, made you stop in your tracks at least for a moment and think, holy shit, whatever happened about that? Um, uh, David, you want to start us off? I know you always say this is the toughest part of the round. It is, it is especially, these, especially after a week in, <laughs> with the South Carolina primary. But uh, I was struck by an obituary uh, this week, sad to say, but uh, I don't know if you remember William Beecher, the former reporter for the New York Times. He passed away earlier this week, and he is the one who broke the story about the secret bombing in Cambodia in the spring of 1969, Whoa. and a huge story. We were bombing a neutral country as part of the Vietnam War, and uh, the Nixon people did not react to that story very well. They bugged Beecher's telephone, and that was some people say that was really the start of Watergate. Is that that's Because of that story, the Nixon administration mm-hmm. was very aggressive about trying to find leakers and engaged in surveillance and other forms of subterfuge and that led to the Pentagon Papers fiasco and then on to Watergate. So um, very significant reporter person in our business. And uh, we will lament his passing. William Beecher, rest in peace. Yeah. And a story like that can really uh, change the it course did, of history. Did, right. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. How about it, Kirk? Uh, what caught your attention? Uh, a little outside the realm of uh, politics, but uh, just as depressing for me personally, it was a story in the uh, athletic this week detailing the financial uh-huh. mismanagement of uh, my hometown Pittsburgh Pirates over the last several years, why they oh. have missed the playoffs, how they one of their uh, big league hitters who was in a slump went around their hitting coach and worked with a guy in the minor, one of their minor league coaches. And when the uh, management found out about that, they fired the minor league coach, even though it was a big improvement. And it was, you know, with opening day about a month or so away and the prospect of the Pirates returning to the playoffs looking just as dim, reading that and confirming all the frustrations that my friends and my family have had at the team was tough. And then literally a day after that signing, they made uh, some big deals with uh, some of their pitchers and everything. And I will never doubt the power of the media again to get people to get moving. But that was my uh, don't know favorite of the week, but one that had big, <laughs> one of the biggest impacts on me personally. Right, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, so, Ginger, you've got a big story out on NBC News this to, this morning, right? Uh, your it, it favorite. Story. Tell us about it. Yeah. Well, it's now that we've put the obituaries of sports and people <laughs> aside. Um, 
we have a great story from Alex Seitzwald that is so wild. Um, you have to read it to believe it on NBCNews.com, but let me tell you about it. There was, if you recall, in January, um, a robocall that went out in New Hampshire ahead of the New Hampshire primary, and it used AI, we learned, to sound like Joe Biden's voice telling New Hampshire voters to save their vote, to not vote in the primary, and to wait and vote in November. New Hampshire authorities immediately started investigating, said this is a problem. Well, our reporter Alex Seitzwald met the man who made the fake AI audio uh, that was used in this robocall. He is a magician, street magician from New Orleans who lives a nomadic life. He has no fixed address. He's a bit of a character. Um, And he says, He was paid by a Democratic operative, a man named Steve Kramer, who in December and January of this year and last year was paid by the Dean Phillips campaign to do work getting on the ballot in a couple of states. So the campaign has said they didn't know about this. They had no role in this. They had paid the guy to do something else, and they haven't worked with them since January. Um, But this story's got twists. It's got turns. He shows, he came forward, he says, because he wants people to know just how easy it is to make these AI audio. Uh, Give the story a read. It is really unbelievable, but then believable because it's so wild. You're like, no one can make this up. Um, And he kept receipts. We have seen the text messages, the video, uh, the audio, the Venmo payments. Uh, He made $149 off of this, so not a lot of money, but um, it it is worth the read. Unbelievable. A street mu- street magician from New Orleans, right? <laughs> All the way to the New Hampshire Democratic primary. Wow. Okay. Great work there. Well, for my favorite story, uh, I know I, I was really tempted to talk about Donald Trump's sneakers, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, something much more important to me. I've been a space nut supporting our American space mission, efforts of all the countries to take advantage of the opportunities in space. But So I was really jazzed this week by seeing Odysseus yesterday land on the moon, Odie, they call it, at NASA. Um, this is the first time the United States has had a, a mission to the moon successfully in 50 years. Um, and this is a pilot, of course, for future landings, but Odysseus is at the South Pole uh, of the uh, moon, already sending back photographs and information. Uh, it's located near a crater, which they're very excited about because there's ice, supposedly ice in some of these craters. And if there's ice, there's water, which means it could support people to maybe live on the moon for a period of time. Uh, and NASA says in 2026, they hope to actually land men and women, American men and women, on the moon. So Odysseus is paving the way. Uh, I think it's a great moment for all Americans to uh, celebrate. Our space agency is up and running again, and we are on the moon. And there you go. And we're over the moon with today's panelists again. A big thank you to David Jackson from USA Today, Ginger Gibson from NBC News, and Kirk Beto from the National Journal Hotline. Great job, as always. Thank you, panelists, and thank all of our listeners and friends for joining us today. We will be back on Tuesday with the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Stay safe. We'll see you Tuesday again on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.